Again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We really are so happy that you are here with us today. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how long you've been showing up here, whether this is your first time with us or whether you've been showing up literally since day one when we opened up our doors back in January. We really are grateful that you are here. Every single week we have this privilege where there's a lot of people that show up here for the very first time and we certainly do not take that for granted. So honestly, thanks for taking that risk and, and walking through our doors. If you haven't uh, gotten the feel, we are officially in the Christmas mood around here. Most churches, yeah, like I, I get excited for Christmas. Yeah, you can clap for that. Uh, I get excited to get all these things Christmas out and stuff. I, hopefully that describes all of you. We get pretty fired up about that. We started a series last week, a three-part Christmas series called Fear Not, which we're going to talk a little bit more about this morning. And that's all leading up to our Christmas services, uh, which is our first round at Christmas services. So again, I'm like super fired up about this on December the 23rd. Uh, that's a Sunday and we will not have our normal 10.30 a.m. service like we're having uh, here today. Instead, we'll have two services that evening at 4 and 6 o'clock. And, and and our hope and our prayer is obviously that every single one of you will, will show up to one of those services, but arguably even more importantly, that you really will try to think through strategically, like, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to uh, bring with you on the 23rd? We've tried to make it really easy, and we came up with these kind of cool invitations, but we hope that you'll think through neighbors and coworkers and, and friends, because for whatever reason, this time of year, uh, people will give church a chance that would otherwise not give church a chance the other 364 days a year. They're like, okay, I better get to church on Christmas, because if that stuff's true, I'm going to be in trouble, so at least then, maybe, like, I'll show up then. So uh, we hope that you're leveraging that opportunity. It's going to be really, really exciting to see uh, what God does there on the 23rd. We have such an incredible experience and service planned for all of you. Now, if you were not here last week, again, we started this uh, three-part series called Fear Not. Uh, and if you weren't here last week, I can't encourage you enough to go to grumlaw.com slash messages and get yourself caught up there. You can listen to the messages. For those of you that are a little bit more visual learners, you can watch the messages there. And as always, you can find us on our Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. Now, you might be wondering, and, and mind you, this is a completely reasonable thought, uh, what is wrong with us? Why of all subjects to pick this time of year did we choose fear? Like, wouldn't it have made more sense to pick joy or happiness or generosity or kindness? Now, mind you, that is a completely valid question. But the reason that we're touching on the subject of fear is because we're looking at the real story of Christmas from three different perspectives. And so, again, when I say the real story of Christmas, I'm talking about the real thing, not the version that involves some overweight man landing on your roof and kind of getting sucked in through the chimney. Hopefully kids are plugging their ears right now. Um, the, the version of Christianity, again, that, that we think is actually happened, that we have a lot of historical documents that would suggest that it happened, and, and we're looking at it, again, from three different perspectives. So last week, we looked at it from Mary's perspective, Mary being the mother of Jesus. This week, we're going to be taking a look at it from the eyes of Joseph, Joseph being Jesus' earthly father. And next week, we're going to look at it from the shepherd's perspective. In all three of these scenarios, with Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, an angel appears before them. Now, we might naturally think that if an angel was to suddenly appear before us, we'd be like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And we'd like pull out our phones and try to take a picture. But I don't think that's what would happen because every single instance that we have throughout scripture when an angel would appear in front of someone, they were terrified. They were scared to death. They would like fall to the ground and like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? So in all three of these scenarios, what does the angel say to these three different parties? Anybody want to take a stab at this? Come on, this isn't really difficult. Yell out, fear not, and hence the name of the series, or as it might read in your version of the Bible, do not be afraid. And so again, last week we looked at this from Mary's eyes. And from Mary's perspective, we talked about, okay, how do we overcome this fear of what God is asking us to do? 
But this week, as we move on to Joseph, and we kind of look at things from his perspective, we're going to see that Joseph had a much different fear, but I think it's a fear that literally every single person in this room will be able to relate to. It's a fear, a fear of what people think about me, a fear of what people think about me. Now, before we kind of start pointing the finger at Joseph here, how many of you can relate to this? I mean, seriously, by a show of hands, how many of you care what other people think of you? Come on, let's be honest. Okay, so all the honest people put their hands up and then all the people that really care what other people think about them kept their hands down because they're overanalyzing the whole situation going, I can't see the person behind me's face. What are they gonna think if I put my hand up right now? Anyway, here's the truth. We all care about this. We, we all, at some level, are concerned what other people think about us. Chances are, it's probably why you dress the way that you dress. Otherwise, we would all just go shopping at Salvation Army and Goodwill, find the cheapest outfit we could possibly assemble, and that's what we would wear. It might be why you style your hair the way that you style your hair. For, for a lot of you, it, it's why you drive the car that you drive, even though you really can't afford that vehicle. It, it's why a lot of you ladies in particular... You put some really weird pictures online. Can we just say that, right? Like, you get yourself in these poses where, why is the camera being held up here? It's like, what are you trying to hide? And then, <laughs> these weird lips. Like, when have you ever done that in everyday life? As if you're walking around like, it's strange. It's why you post the content that you post to social media. You get the point. We all, at lo some level, we all care. And some of us, frankly, whether you admit this or not, we're obsessed. You're obsessed with what people think about you. And we'll see today, and, and this is one of the things that I absolutely love about Scripture, how incredibly applicable it is to our lives, despite the fact that it was written so many years ago. We will see today that this is not a new problem for human beings. In fact, for Joseph, again, the, the earthly father of Jesus, we'll see that he was struggling with this about 2,000 years ago. He was battling with the opinions of people as he decides between what is easy and what is right. What's easy and what is right. What, what, what people would want him to do versus what God would want him to do. Now, just in case you kind of forgot what's happening in the story, maybe you've never heard the story before, but you know, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, I'm gonna kind of catch you up to speed right now and give you a little context as to what's going on. Joseph is engaged uh, to be married to a young girl by the name of Mary. Uh, biblical scholars would estimate that she was between the ages of like 14 and 17. He was probably just a little bit older. To us, that sounds really, really weird, but back then it was actually a pretty normal thing. And back at this point in history, believe it or not, engagement was actually a far bigger deal than it is today. In fact, if you wanted to break off your engagement, you had two options. You could file for divorce in the same way that you would have to file for divorce if you were already married, or two, you could die. So divorce or die, those were your two options for breaking off an engagement. And in both scenarios, if you were to break that off, if you were to die, from that point forward, you were a marked person. You would be considered a widow or a widower for the rest of your life. So kind of with all that in mind, here's kind of how we enter this story from Joseph's perspective. And we're going to find this account in the book of Matthew. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. It's one of the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Okay, so we look at this story here from Joseph's perspective in the book of Matthew. It says this. It says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, just like a told you. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up going to church or you're even like just kind of vaguely familiar with this story, we just breeze past this like it's totally normal. It's not normal. It's really, really strange. She got pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's try to put ourselves in Joseph's sandals, if you will, for just a minute. 
right? He comes home one day, Mary's cooking him dinner, walks in the house, she's like, why don't you come to my place for, you know, for dinner tonight? She walks in, and right away, he can tell that there's something wrong with this girl. And he's like, hey, hey Mary, what's, what's wrong? And she doesn't come out and actually tell him, because you women always make this really, really complicated. We have to, like, weasel it out of you. She's like, no, no, seriously, like, what, what's wrong? And she's like, well, okay, there is something wrong, but... I don't really want to tell you because I don't think you're going to believe me. He's like, no, baby, like, I, I trust you. Like, just tell me, tell me. He's like, okay, I'm pregnant. He's like, what? Like, he loses his lid. He's like, okay, we never slept together. How is that possible? She's like, but, but, but it's not what you think. He's like, what are you talking about? It's exactly what I think. She's like, no, no, no. You, here's the crazy part. I got pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And he's like, what? Like, you went from frustrated, hurt, to just sheer anger at this point because now you know that she's lying. You got pregnant from the Holy Spirit? I bet it's the Holy Spirit that keeps racking up those bills at the mall. I bet it's the Holy Spirit that keeps going over our data plan. Like, what the crud are you talking about? Nobody is buying that story. From a human perspective, there's a 0% chance that you or anybody else, for that matter, are going to buy that. There's either two options. She's crazy or she's a liar. She's crazy or she's a liar. Some of you are like, hey, that describes my girlfriend. Just kidding, kind of. Okay, but either of these are not great options, right? You're not buying the Holy Spirit excuse. And at this point, it starts to creep up. Right here, for Joseph, he starts to fear what other people are going to think about him. See, from his perspective, no matter how he handles this moving forward, whether he divorces her, or whether he stays with her, he is going to be marked for the rest of his life. This was a big deal back then. He's gonna have trouble finding a job. People are gonna treat him differently. They will be looking down on him again for the rest of his life. If he decides to follow through and actually file for divorce, he's likely not getting married for the rest of his life because no honorable father is going to want to give his daughter's hand in marriage to a guy that has already been divorced once. And then he's weighing, okay, the Mary side of things. Even though right now he's convinced that she is a crazy liar, he still cares about her. And back at this point in history, the most common punishment, if you were found out to be pregnant out of wedlock, he divorces her, they figure that out, and they're probably going to figure it out because that's hard to hide. The most common punishment was that you would be stoned to death, that she would be killed. She'd be murdered for her actions. And all this is running through his mind. And so this is what he ultimately decides to do. Joseph to whom she was engaged, Mary was engaged, was a righteous man. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Out of his compassion, out of his love for Mary, despite again the fact that right now he thinks that she is a liar, he still has feelings for her. Out of his fear that she might be killed, he actually does a pretty noble, a pretty honorable thing. He decides to try to break the engagement off quietly. He's not ready at this point now to spend the rest of his life with her, but he's also not ready to ruin her life. He's also not ready to maybe get her killed. And so he wants to give her some hope, some hope of a life after he's out of the picture. And so he decides to break this off quietly. But what Joseph doesn't realize, and this is incredible, what Joseph does not realize is that he's about to learn one of the most valuable life lessons that any of us could possibly learn who decide to follow God. That pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God frequently means disappointing people. If you want to obey God, there are going to be many times throughout your life where people and people that you are close to, friends and family and coworkers, they will not agree and they certainly will not understand. 
It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, can you imagine his head as it sprung off the pillow? You got to be kidding me. She was freaking telling the truth. Of all the things in my life to have to eat crow on, this is actually happening. She actually got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Complete side note, nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but random thought that popped into my head. Can you imagine what Mary could have gotten away with from this point forward? I mean, right? Like, she comes home. She's like, did you seriously lease a new camel? And she's like, no, no, it was, was the Holy Spirit. He's like, all right, it's plausible. Hey, Mary, stop leaving all the lights on in the house. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. He's like, you know, it's plausible. He did get her pregnant. Kind of unbelievable at this point. <laughs> back, to, back to reality here, though. Uh, consider the weight in this moment, though, uh, seriously, of what Joseph has just been told. He's a Jewish man, which means for his entire life, he has been hearing about a particular prophecy. In fact, it's like the prophecy, the prophecy to end all prophecies. He's been hearing that, that God was eventually going to send a Messiah to not only redeem his people, but to redeem the entire world. And now this angel has, has told him in an undeniable way that that very Messiah is being carried by Mary, his fiance, and he gets to be his earthly father. I mean, you talk about some weight in that moment. You, you talk about the pressure that you would be feeling and he's definitely still weighing what other people are gonna think about him. Again, if we're familiar with this story, we just breeze past this and we think, okay, well, all is well. Angel came to Mary, angel came to Joseph, so they're in good shape. No, not really. Everybody is gonna think that they have collectively lost their minds. It wasn't like he got this whole episode on video and he can go show his buddies like, hey, no, 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 seriously, like an angel actually came, check it out. No, no, they're gonna think he's lost it. Nobody is going to believe them. There isn't one person that is gonna believe their story. And despite that angel appearing right in front of his face, I guarantee you that he was still deciding, do I do what God wants or do I do what people want? I grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home, a pretty conservative home, and one of the habits that my parents instilled in me, and I'm actually really thankful for, and now I have in my whole household and I'm instilling with, with my children, is just praying before our meals. A lot of Christians do that. That's not like a unique thing. And if those of you that you know, kind of new to this whole church thing, you're like, does it say that somewhere? No, it doesn't. There's not like this point of passage of scripture I can point you to and says like, you have to pray before your meals. I just think it's a good habit to develop. There's a lot of people throughout our world that do not have hot meals every day. And so it's just an easy way to just kind of pause and reflect and say thanks back to God for how much he has given every single one of us. But anyway, uh, all throughout my, my young life, again, I just thought this was normal. And it was about the time that I got into like late middle school, high school, that I started noticing that not every family kind of prays <laughs> before their meals. And for the first time in my life, I, I kind of started to like worry what other people were thinking about us because it didn't matter if we were in public or private. It didn't matter if it was my whole family, just me and my dad. It, it did not matter. We always prayed before our meals. And I found myself, you know, particularly when we were in a restaurant, like kind of looking around, like wondering, like, do these people all think like we are the biggest weirdos on the planet right now? And I'd start to weigh that. Now, once I got kind of into high school, I knew that, that I should probably do this, but there were times when I was around certain people and I was so worried about what they were thinking of me that I would do the most ridiculous things. This is gonna sound like, like I'm making this up, and I think I've shared this before, but I would literally like lean down and pretend like I was like tying my shoe. 
I'd be like, dear Lord, thank you so much for this food. Uh, really have a great day and you never pray amen. And I'd bring my head back up and they'd never know I'd be any of the wiser. Or there'd be times where I'd have spontaneous migraines where I'd be like, ah, dear Lord, we thank you so much for this food and it's your name, I pray amen. And I'm like, I wish I was making that up, but I, I would actually do this because I was so concerned about what other people would think of me. My wife and I were at our, our one-year anniversary trip. We took a trip down to Mexico to, to, a, to a resort, and we were having like an awesome, awesome time. By that point, I'd gotten over this whole like, you know, don't pray in front of other people thing. And uh, there was one day, like halfway through the trip, where we were just kind of hanging out by the pool, and there was this restaurant that was right on the water. It was kind of like a la carte. You go order whatever you wanted, and then sit like right next to the water. And so I was like, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Yep. And so we went up and, you know, sat at a table, grabbed our food, and, you know, before a meal, you know, held hands and, and, and prayed for the food. And then we ate pretty quickly because I eat like 90 miles an hour. And then as we were getting up to leave and walk away from the table, an elderly woman who was sitting right next to us said, young man, and, and I turned around and I said, yes. She goes, did I just see you and your wife? That's your wife? I was like, yeah, that's my wife. She's like, did I just see you guys pray before your meal? And I said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're Jesus followers, so yeah, we, we just, quick way to say thanks. And she started crying. I said, like, everything okay? And, and, and she said to me, she said, it's just so refreshing to see a young couple that, that, that's following Jesus. You don't see that very much anymore. And then she kind of started crying even more and I got the impression that like, okay, there, there has to be something up. She can't be just this moved by this moment. And I went on to explain to her. I was like, you know, I used to kind of bend down, pretend like I was tying my shoes. No, I didn't tell her that part. But uh, I sat there and I, I said, okay, is there anything else wrong? Like, it, you, you mind me asking? And she goes, yeah, uh, there actually is something wrong. My, my husband and I, we have a timeshare down here and he's been health, having health complications. We don't know how much time he has left, but he actually just got rushed to the hospital today and he like insisted that I leave, but she's like, I, I just don't know how much time that I, that I have left with him. I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And just without really thinking, I just said to her, I said, hey, do you mind if I pray with you right now and pray for you and your husband? And I'll never forget the look on that woman's face. I mean, she looked up from that table like I had just told her I, I had a million dollars to give her. She said, you would do that with me right now? I was like, yeah, be happy to. And so I remember grabbing her hands and praying with her, and I don't really remember exactly what I said, and said amen, and then told her, hey, I'll, I'll be praying for you as I, I think of you and your husband when, they, when you guys come to mind, and I kind of stepped away from the table, and I remember that day not thinking, wow, what a cool moment. In fact, the thought that I remember very well that, that came racing across my mind is, you idiot, Shay, how many opportunities like that did you throw away over all those years? H how many more incredible stories would you have like that? Where, where, where God would have used me if I wouldn't have been so concerned what other people thought about me. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, throughout your entire life, you're, you're gonna be met with opportunities to obey God or do something far easier to win the approval of people. And, and what Joseph is about to learn here, and it's certainly something that I hope all of you grasp onto as well. And, and this is true, by the way, no matter who you are, uh, whether you call yourself a Jesus follower or not, whether you've been coming to church your whole life, or whether this is literally, again, your first time walking into a church, it's this. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. And the truth is, for, for every single person in this room, in fact, for every single person uh, on the planet, is that we all more naturally drift towards people than God. What does he think of me? 
What, what does she think of me? Does he like me? Does she like me? Do I fit in here? Do I measure up? What's going on in their head right now? Am I, am I cool enough? And, and without even realizing it, without even recognizing it, we surrender to the opinions of people. We surrender our lives to what other people think of us. But here's the incredible news, and I, I think this is pretty amazing. We can absolutely flip this. And the opposite holds every bit is true. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. And and here's why this is particularly good news. You cannot and you will not please everyone. Trying to please people is a can't-win battle. And in fact, I know that you all know that this is true. Years ago, when, when I was in medical sales, there was this one office that I was particularly close with, had a great relationship with the physician and really everybody that was in the office. And I walked in there one day and this medical assistant by the name of John, I walked in, he's like, hey, Shay, what's going on? We made some small talk. And he was really excited to tell me that he got a new car. He's like, can I show it to you? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. And so we walk out into the parking lot and it was kind of funky looking vehicle. It's called a Ford Flex. Some of you guys might remember those things. Like, you know, kind of like these crossovers. I actually kind of think they looked pretty sweet. And so he showed me the SUV. He's all really excited about it. We go back inside and Larry, who was the x-ray tech, he's a little bit older, was like waiting for me inside the door. He's like, what'd you think? It's like, uh, I liked it. Yeah, it was a nice looking SUV. He's like, come on, you don't have to lie to him. You know, that's the ugliest vehicle you've ever seen. I was like, jeez. This guy's stinking brutal. Some of you ladies, you've experienced this, right? You go out and you like get your hair did and like it's looking really good and like you're on your girlfriends and they're like, oh my gosh, your hair looks so good. You go home, what does your husband say? He's like, oh my gosh, what happened to your head? Who you hang out with on the weekends, how you spend your free time, shoot, even where you go to church, you will never please everyone. But... You can absolutely please God. You can absolutely, we all have this opportunity to live our lives in such a way where God looks down at us and says, you are killing it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is how, this is how we overcome the fear of what other people think about us. We surrender our lives to living for an audience of one. You guys, this represents the most dynamic change that I have experienced personally in my life. I, I used to be, and I've shared a little bit about this before, how, how I was in, in high school and early in college. I mean, I was just obsessed, obsessed with what other people thought of me, and it caused me to do some really stupid things. It caused me to wear some really ridiculous clothes. A couple of weeks ago, there was a couple over for dinner, and they asked my wife and I, they're like, hey, how did you guys meet? And so my wife was happy to dive into the story in, in great detail, in fact, in probably a little bit too much detail, right down to what I was wearing that day. She's like, oh my gosh, you're not gonna believe this. Shay was wearing Birkenstock clogs, plaid shorts, a Ralph Lauren polo with his collar popped and Dior sunglasses. And I'm like, okay, 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 we just need to pause this story real quick. I want you to recognize that I know that I was a complete tool, okay? Like I get this, I, in fact, I actually said to that couple, I said, I wanted to punch or I want to punch high school Shay in the face. Okay, so like, like I, I recognize the error of my ways. And as I, I look back at that, I'm like, why, why wouldn't I wear those things? Like that, again, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not me. Well, why, why did I act those ways? Again, it's because I was obsessed. I was so obsessed with what other people thought of me. And it wasn't until I saw myself as a child of God that, that, that God thinks so highly of me that he, that he would send his one and his only son to die for me. 
That, that, that God looked down into this mess of a world and he looked at every single one of us and he's like, I care so much about you that I'm going to devise a way to bring you back to me. I, I began to be obsessed with what God thought about me and I began to care a whole lot less of what people thought of me. Why do I care? I mean, when we think about it, why do I care what, what, what that family member, that coworker, that friend has to say about me? Why do I care? Why do any of us care if other people are, are judging us? God, my creator, your creator, thinks so highly of you that he devised a way to win you back. He said his one and his only son for you so that you could still have a relationship with him. You know, I, as I look around this room right now, I love the people that come walking through our doors. I, I get so fired up on Sunday mornings. Like, I, 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 like, I look at you guys right now, I'm just like, oh, like I, I get so excited that you guys decided to show up here today. I can't believe how God is using this church. I care so much about the people that are seated in this room, but I'm telling you, as much as I like you guys, I care way more way more what God thinks of me than any single person in this room. My dad last week, I, I was over at his house and we were watching a football game a little later in the afternoon and we weren't really talking very much and all of a sudden he asked me this question. I don't really know where it came from. But he said, hey Shay, have there been any people that, that have shown up to Grumlaw and like, you know, they seemed like they were totally all on board and, and now they're just gone? Like they just vanished seemingly? And I'm like, yeah, our church has that problem too. <laughs> and he goes, and he asked me a follow-up question. He goes, does it bother you? And I said, no, not really. And he's like, do explain. And I was like, okay, like, don't get me wrong. Like, let me preface this by saying, like, yeah, I, I, I care if people come here and, and, and if something I say or something that happened here would so turn you off from church that you never walk through the doors of a church again or, or, or you would just kind of discount and eliminate Christianity even as a possibility. But, but I told him, Dad, I, I think one of my greatest talents is, is that, honestly, I just don't care if, if people don't really like it here. Now, again, that's based on preferences. If you come here and you're like, okay, like, I don't really like the way that you said that or the tone that you said that in. If, if you're going, you know, I, I just don't really appreciate how you do the music. I don't really like how you run your kids' programs. Again, I really could not care less because I am positive that we are doing exactly what God has called us to do and I am obsessed with pleasing God. I'm in the pleasing God business, not in the pleasing people business. Now, as, as I know, and, and certainly all of you know as well, that this is certainly far easier said than done. So for the remainder of our time together, I, I wanna kinda give you two practical ideas to apply to your own lives. Here's how you kinda live for God rather than people, okay? So two thoughts, first one's this. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Going back to, again, this, this story, our interaction here with Joseph and Mary, think of all the criticism that they are about to face in their life, all the side comments that they're about to overhear, all the dirty looks that they're about to get from people in the community, the, the family members that are gonna be collectively rolling their eyes as they try to explain this whole Holy Spirit got Mary pregnant thing. Not one person is going to buy their story because after all, Joseph wasn't buying the story until an angel was standing in front of his face. And I can't tell you how exactly this is gonna play out in your own life, but I am telling you, as your relationship with God grows, you're gonna be nudged 
You're going to be prompted to do things that are culturally unpopular. And obedience will absolutely lead to criticism. I see this all the time with, with young couples that come up to me and, and ask if, if I will marry them. And, and more and more, it's becoming really, really common for, for couples to live together before marriage. And so it's usually one of the first questions that comes out of my lips. You know, I'm like, okay, are, are you living together? Uh, and when I ask that question, you can tell, like, they don't even really have to answer. I already know the answer before, like, you know, their body language kind of tells the story. And the incredible thing is, is in most cases, they've just never had it explained to them. They've never really understood, okay, hey, this is why this is actually a bad idea. And this isn't just a Christian thought, by the way. This is a scientific fact at this point. You're 50% more likely to get divorced if you live together before marriage, okay? So it's, again, it's not really even up for debate at this point. But once I sit down there and, you know, over an hour, hour and a half, we kind of have that conversation and explain to them why. Believe it or not, most of the couples actually move out. They're like, okay, I get it. No, thank you for taking the time to explain it to us. But you would not believe the criticism that they face from family members and friends. People looking at him like, are, are you out of your mind? You recognize he ain't the only pastor on the planet? Plenty of them would have married you without moving out. Like, why would you do something so foolish? I see this all the time with, with young people, that, that, in particular young singles, that you know, basically 10 years been living a continuation of their college experience, and suddenly they wake up one day and they're like, you know what, I, I don't really want to party every Friday and Saturday and Thursday night. Like, I kind of want to get out of this whole thing. And then God starts to kind of mess with their lives and grab a hold of their lives and say they start to distance themselves from that group of friends. And again, they, they, they are treated so harshly for wanting to better their lives. Oftentimes, your closest friends, family, they'll almost shun you. They'll, they'll treat you like you are such a fool. Anything of significance, anything of significance will always be met with resistance and criticism, personally or professionally. In fact, if you notice in your life an absence of criticism, an absence of resistance, then you probably aren't doing that much then what you are doing honestly probably lacks a certain level of significance. You want to avoid criticism? You want to avoid resistance? Do nothing, stand for nothing, have nothing. My wife and I right now, we're, we're in the, the adoption process. Like we know that God has called us to, to adopt. And man, I get so excited thinking about the, the children, the child that, that God is, is going to bless us with. And one of the startling things through this process if we kind of made this known to other people, and I'm like really making it known now, um, is that we've received like some opposition for that. Like I, I thought this would be universally pretty much celebrated, but literally people and people that call themselves Jesus followers have th said things to us like, do you really think that's a good idea? You have, you have a pretty good thing going on right now. You have the perfect family. I'm like, you want to come spend a day where I'm my children? They are not perfect. But nonetheless, they, they look at me like, you never know what the background of that child is like and how that could kind of mess up your lives. I'm like, are you seriously saying this to me right now? I don't think we can be friends anymore. Get away from me. We've been criticized as a church for being overly generous from other churches and other leaders of churches. Like, what's your angle? Do you really think that's a good idea? What happens if you run into some financial crisis six months from now? Aren't you gonna wish you got that money back? I'm like, let me talk to you about a guy named Jesus, okay? He was pretty generous. Like, I'm pretty sure that we're on the right track. We have some billboards up right now throughout Grand Blank that some of you have probably seen before that just simply say, church shouldn't be boring. And again, we have faced opposition from those, particularly from people that go to different churches that have said things to me like, hey, what, what do you mean? You trying to say that my church is boring? I'm like, if the first thing that comes to your mind when you read the words, church shouldn't be boring, is your church, then yes, your church probably is boring. And that's not my fault. Sounds like a you issue. 
becoming obsessed, becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. And then number two, thought number two is this. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Think about this. <laughs> this is incredible. The savior of the world, the savior of the world was born when two teenagers said yes to God. A simple act of obedience. Mary and Joseph, and again, this is another one of those things in this story that we just rip past and don't think anything of, but they were given virtually no details. An angel comes down and it's like, hey, that whole Messiah thing, that's going to kind of be on your shoulders. You're going to raise him. Uh, yep, about nine months, he's going to be here. So good luck with that. Oh yeah, name him Jesus. It's like, what? That's it? Like, you're not going to give us any more details? Like, can we discipline him? Can we spank him? Like, more of a timeout thing? Like, what do you want us to do? They're like, eh, don't worry about that. It's going to be perfect, so it'll probably put you in timeout a little bit. Like, I mean, you would be terrified in this moment. God so often asks us to take these simple steps of obedience. And I get this. We as people, how we're naturally wired, we, we think, okay, well, well, what else? Like, like, aren't you going to give me a little bit more detail? But God's saying, come on. Just come on, come on, come on. Trust me. I have this under control. You be obedient. You do what I'm asking you to do, and I promise that I will take care of the rest. We, we don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. If you're new to this whole church thing, you do not have to understand and take 400-level theology classes on the Bible before you start taking your first step towards God. Before you start listening to that small, still voice in your head that we often refer to as a conscience. Going back to last week, outcome. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. You have no idea, and, and this is huge. So if you've been zoning out and like counting the lights on the ceiling, bring it back in here for just a second. You have no idea what you might set into motion when you simply obey what God puts on your heart. You, you have no idea. I have no idea. You, you have no idea the impact that a simple Christmas invitation could have on somebody else's eternity. You, you have no idea, and I know you didn't do it for this reason, and I'm so proud of this church, you have no idea what those 485 gifts might do for another person. That we might think, okay, we're just giving away a gift, but for, for, for the first time, people are gonna see the real love and generosity of Jesus. For some of you, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of you saying yes or no to baptism. If you've never been baptized as an adult, you have no idea how your story might personally impact another person and help their story be told. You have no idea what it might do for you and other people if you begin serving here. You, you have no idea what a simple act of generosity, like the first snowstorm comes and you go over to your neighbors and you decide to shovel their driveway, even though you're not that fond of them. You have no idea what, what, what it might mean for that coworker if you simply buy them lunch. You have no idea what it might do for your soul when you began financially giving to things other than yourself. You have no idea how it might impact others when you adopt, when you foster. You have no idea, we have no idea what it might set into motion, not only for others, but for you as well. Joseph, like so many of us that are sitting in this room, he has a choice to make. Do I do what's easy? Or do I do what's right? Do, do I do what people want me to do? 
or do I do what God wants me to do? It says, when Joseph woke up, he did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. He chose God's way. And through that simple act of obedience, the greatest act of God in the history of the world was brought to fulfillment. I'm telling you, we have no idea what hangs in the balance of a simple yes or a simple no. I pray right now that no matter where you're at on this whole faith journey, that whatever it is that God is putting on your heart, whatever it is, whatever your next step is, that you take it, that you do it. Because extraordinary acts of God often start with very ordinary acts of obedience. And it does not matter where you're at on this whole faith journey. For some of you, you're so new to this thing. Your next step is literally just making a commitment to yourself. I'm going to show up here for the next four weeks, no matter what. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm just going to be here and watch what God begins to do in your life. For some of you, you already know that all week you've been thinking about it. You got that person at work that you know you're supposed to hand a Christmas invitation to. But you're like, I'm so worried what they're going to think of me and that they're going to think I'm a weirdo and it'll probably transpire in a way where you're just like throw it on their desk and like sprint out of there. But, but still, you know. For some of you, you're sitting here and, and we've been talking about baptism now for the last three weeks. You know you're supposed to go public with your faith. Whatever that next step is, I don't know what it is for each and every one of you, but I'm confident that if you are listening, that you're open, that you're open right now, that God is absolutely nudging, that God is absolutely prompting you with something, and I'm telling you, whatever it is, take it. I hope that we are a church, that we are a community of people, that collectively we are obsessed with what God thinks of us, and in turn, we will care a whole lot less about what people think of us. As I'm telling you, we have no idea what hangs in the balance of doing or not doing whatever it is that God's putting on our hearts.